As Clint mentioned in his prayer and as we've already covered in worship and song, uh, we are talking about what it means to be thankful as the people of God, and we're not just doing so because it's the Thanksgiving holiday. We don't take our, our uh, sermon schedule from the Hallmark Channel or anything like that, um, although the Hallmark Channel may affect our sermons from time to time. Um, but no, we, we, are, we are people who are always to give thanks, not just to be thankful, but to give thanks. And that's been the focus of what we've been talking about for the last three weeks. And so we'll be in Psalm 28 this morning. Before we get going, uh, if you're a visitor here, we just want to welcome you. We're really glad you're here. Um, this time where God's people gather to worship him and to go to the word and to really hear from the Lord is a special time week in and week out. And to get to share that with someone new, uh, a new brother or sister in Christ, or a potentially new brother and sister in Christ, um, that's, a, that's a privilege, and we really mean that. Um, we want to encourage you. There's a, a card in the backs of the chairs. If you could fill that out and drop it in the little offering satchel, that um, helps us keep in touch with you and get you information you need if you're looking for a church home. Normally, we have the visitor kiosk, but today it's a little different. We have a thing called uh, Crosspoint Connect, which is right across the way. And if you're a visitor, there's snacks and drinks. They're, they're really good snacks, and they're really, really good drinks. And so um, we want to encourage you to come over there. And it's just a time, really, for you to be able to connect with some ministry leaders with a little less distraction and maybe ask some questions that you might have from visiting. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to dive into Psalm 28. Let's pray together. Lord, you are very good to us, as we've already sung this morning. We are thankful for your design. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the fact that you are intimately involved in our lives. Lord, we pray specifically this morning for another church, as we do every Sunday. Pray for Cornerstone Fellowship uh, there in Roy City. And uh, pray for Trent Brown and Natalie Brown. And as, as Trent leads that church and wears just a number of different hats and, and serves wholeheartedly, I pray that you would bless him. I pray that that church would be blessed and that they would be a blessing to that community. I pray that you would bring new people. I pray that they would be sharing the gospel. I pray that Trent has enjoyed you this week over the holiday as he's bringing the word this morning. I pray for he and Natalie and, and their marriage, and I pray that they're living together in an understanding way so that their prayers aren't hindered, as your word says. Lord, I'm thankful that, um, that you have uh, kept them so steady uh, in ministry uh, throughout the years through different ups and downs, and just pray that you would bless them today. Lord, we pray the same thing uh, for us today. We pray that you would bless us. We pray that you would show us uh, more of who you are and who we are through your word, and that the result would be... Um, a bunch of people who, who care rightly about giving thanks to you. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This is our third and last week in Psalm 28. Um, the Psalms teach us how to worship. So as we're reading the Psalms, one of the questions we can be asking is, how is this teaching me how to worship? And what we've been considering is how the follower of God is to rightly give thanks to God. Giving thanks to God is not optional for the worshiper. It's not optional for the Christian. It's something that is, um, it's required because there's always something to give thanks for. And so what we're looking at in this psalm is, how do we do that rightly? Another thing is that the psalms aren't just random poems, but they reflect on actual events. And so if we're kind of trying to, as Ben sometimes uses the verbiage, you know, unpack the furniture in the room and kind of get it arranged so we know where we're sitting as we hear from the Lord, the furniture might go something like this. In this psalm, David is being pursued by Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel, because Israel wanted a king like the other uh, nations. And so Saul was the first king, but the problem is that Saul did not obey God. And so over the course of 
um, and especially through First and Second Samuel, God takes his spirit from Saul and puts it on this shepherd boy named David, who's also a warrior, who's also just a multifaceted, amazing leader. And what happens is God puts his spirit on David and takes it off of Saul. And so David is to be the new anointed king of Israel. So Saul's on his way out, and David is on his way up, and Saul is not happy about it. And so multiple times, Saul pursues David with the goal of killing him. He wants to take his life because he's a threat to Saul's um, throne from Saul's perspective. And so that is the setting of this psalm. We have to understand that it's not just a random poem, but, but as, as David is crying out and as he's praising God, the setting is a really dire circumstance. This is, imagine if you were being pursued by someone who wanted to take your life. And imagine if they were speaking peace with the neighbors and trying to get to know your neighbors and your coworkers to get to you because there's evil in their hearts. That's what's going on in this psalm, and David is rightly crying out to the Lord. We have found that because God is David's only hope, David's song of thanks is toward God. The, the source of our hope will always be the aim of our song, which reminds us that if God is not our only hope, he won't be our greatest comfort and encouragement in trial because we're going to be looking elsewhere. Sometimes we get into a trial or get into something that's going on and we're like, where's God? He's just not, uh, I want him to be my greatest comfort. But you, you're looking elsewhere because you've put your hope in other things. So we learn from David that God is his greatest comfort and help here because he has a singular hope. God is not one name on a long list of emergency phone calls that need to be made when a crisis arises. He is the singular hope of David. And the way that David holds on to hope is by trusting God's promises. The thing we've seen in the previous two weeks is that David doesn't have expectations upon God that God didn't first give to David in the form of a promise. Of a promise. And so David's saying, hey, those promises, God, I'm laying hold of them. And I'm putting my hope in you by trusting your promises. We also saw that as we entrust ourselves to God rightly through his promises, one of the things we have to do, which is sometimes very hard, is entrust our enemies to him as well. Because we're called to love our enemies, and we can't love someone that we're seeking revenge against. We have to give them to God and entrust them to God so that we can love our enemies as we worship God in the midst of them. Finally, rightly placed hope leads to thankful hearts that give thanks to God. That's our focus this morning. In Psalm 28, we see a shift from prayer to praise. If you're writing notes, you, that's something you need to note. Is what we're considering this morning is this shift from prayer to praise. See, in verses 1 through 2, we see David say, To you, O Lord, I call my rock, be not deaf to me. Lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. David is in a dire circumstance. In those first two verses, he is just crying out to God. It's urgency and it's desperation. In verses 3 through 5, David calls down curses on his enemies. And then the psalm turns from prayer to praise in verses 6 through 9. Look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6. He's just said, God will tear down the enemies and build them up no more because they were not regarding the works of God's hands. And then he, then he turns and he says, blessed be the Lord. For he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart 
exults, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. O oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. As we consider this shift from prayer to praise, our first point is kind of an obvious one. So point number one for the morning, there's three. Like any good sermon, we're going to have three points, so pay attention. This is number one. Praise always precedes prayer. Or, sorry, I screwed up the first point, guys. You're going to remember it when we get to it because I've said it multiple times. The first point is prayer always precedes praise. Prayer always precedes praise. Prayer comes before praise. To bless the Lord biblically is to attribute all blessing to him. That's what it means. When we sing, come bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul, we're not trying to give God something that he doesn't already have, but what we're saying is all blessing is from the Lord. So we attribute all of the blessing in our lives to the Lord. So we bless him. To bless the Lord biblically is to attribute all blessing to him. So here, that is being done because the Lord has heard David's voice. So David is saying, I attribute all blessing to you because you heard my voice. So what we have to not lose sight of is, of course, David's voice would have never been heard had it not been raised. David's voice would have never been heard had it not been raised. You ever have that funny thing with your spouse where they get mad at you for not doing something? It's like, well, you didn't tell me to do that. They're like, well, you should have known. You should have read my mind. God, though he can read our minds, he, he wants us to lift our voice to him. And so David's voice has been raised. Sometimes when we are anxious, when we're overwhelmed, when we're troubled, sometimes in that crazy scenario where things are just not right, we lose sight of God. And Christians can't do that. We have to work hard not to lose sight of God. Sometimes we forget to pray. Sometimes we think praying won't, won't matter, which is futile, sort of cynical thinking. You have to fight against that. Or sometimes, maybe the, maybe the worst thing is to, to believe the lie that God doesn't care if things are hard in your life. God doesn't care if you're hurting. To believe the lie that God doesn't care if you're confused. Part of the battle of faith is battling against such futile and untrue thoughts. To consider this, turn over to Philippians 4. This is one of our few little satellite verses this morning. Philippians chapter 4. Anytime you're talking about you know, these requests that we can make known to God, first we just kind of marvel that we can do that. We marvel that the God who created all things that created, the God who has done amazing things, the God who's holding the stars in their place and has named all of them, invites you to let your request be made known. That's very significant. Even in just this room, think about how numerous the requests are that we are, being, um, that we are bringing to the Lord because he allows us to. But look at Philippians 4, verse 4. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So rejoicing is always. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. So even in the midst of calamity and even in the midst of trying to praise God in calamity, there is reasonableness, which we'll talk more about in a few minutes says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That word supplication is just bringing your needs to God, saying, God, I need help with this. The same way a child would to their father or mother, can I have help with this? That's supplication. 
in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. David is an example of what Paul is teaching. This is what David has done in Psalm 28. Our God does know our deepest needs before we voice them. But he's a relational God who invites us to voice those needs. He doesn't want us to be anxious. Kiddos, did y'all know that? As y'all sitting in here this morning, did y'all know that God doesn't want you to be anxious? He doesn't want you to be fearful? That God cares about those moments in your life and he says, you know what, I invite you to come to me. I invite you to bring that request to me. I don't want you to be anxious. I don't want you to be fearful. Sometimes at night when you're going to bed, sometimes that's scary. And there's a psalm that says, in peace we both lay down and sleep, for you alone make us dwell in safety. Your God loves you so much that he wants you to know that is a reality that he's in charge of. So he invites us to himself to let our request be made known, yet he tempers that invitation with the encouragement to do so with thankfulness. So what that creates is this atmosphere where, yes, you're aware of your needs. You're aware of what's going on. You're aware of how things aren't right, and so you take it to God, but you don't take just that. It's like you have two handfuls of stuff you're bringing, and this is your requests, but bring thankfulness, because in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the heartache and the storm, the confusion, maybe the anxiety, maybe the sadness, maybe the unknowns, you can be aware of all those details, but God says, don't lose sight in the midst of all of that, of how much you have to be thankful for, because I'm your God. I was thinking this week, um, our family had a thing over the holidays, which was kind of a, a uh, kind of a nightmare. It was a UTV accident, and um, it was bad, and my nephew is in uh, children's right now, and probably will be for the better part of a month, and my brother is healing, and it was, it was really bad. And in the midst of that calamity, I took note of all the different family members that were saying, consider, what it w- consider this. Oh, God is so good to us because, you know, th- th- this didn't happen. God, so there's no head injuries. There's, there's no neck trauma. There's, there's th- that's amazing. Oh, God, preserve this. It, think about two minutes difference, and it would have been this. And I had that moment where I was kind of like, I was upset about what happened. And I had that moment where I'm like, I don't know, does God want credit for all that? And I, had, and I, I prepared these sermon notes on Monday. <laughs> Funny how that gets to you, right? So I prepared these sermon notes on Monday. The accident happened on Wednesday, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, he does. He does. Those, if you're wondering which details God is, is tending to, it's the details that you have no control over. In your scenario, in that nightmare of a circumstance where things go wrong, which details is God tending to? All the ones that you do have control over and all the ones you don't have control over. That's the significance of your Lord. He loves you that much. So, he tells us to temper this, bring your requests with this, consider what else I'm doing because I'm always doing more. We become um, so troubled and so short-sighted, and we, we can even become bitter and angry. Oftentimes when bad things happen, we say, God, what, you could have prevented that. And we, we, we have thoughts that are very selfish. But if we do what he is saying here and bring your request with thanksgiving, we won't go into that ditch of despair and bitterness and anxiety 
and maybe even depression. We can, we can fight against those things by being aware of all that God is tending to, even in the midst of calamity. This creates an atmosphere where we make requests while constantly aware of all the needs that have been met. Sometimes our trials can make us unthankful because we just forget to give thanks in the midst of them. A trial doesn't have to make you bitter. A trial doesn't have to make you unthankful. But sometimes that happens just because you fail to give thanks in the midst of the trial because you lose sight of the fact that your God is actively involved in your life, actively aware of your needs, eager to hear from you, and eager to do as he did with David and come in and bring relief and help and guidance and encouragement. God here says that the best way to fight the that imbalance is to bring your request with thanksgiving. Or to say it another way, bring praise with your prayer. Turn back to Psalm 28. So our first point, which was so clear up front, is that prayer always precedes praise. Which leads to the second point, which you've already heard this morning, is that praise actually follows prayer. That may sound like, oh, thanks for the sage wisdom there, Pastor Scott, okay? So this comes before that, so you're saying that follows this. Very, very tricky. No, it's really important because sometimes we forget to do that. Praise always follows prayer. David has urgently cried out to God, and now David is wholeheartedly giving thanks to God. Too often we pray, and then we forget to give thanks when God has answered us and blessed us. Too often we just cry out to him in the midst of the calamity and we don't follow up and say, God, you're so good for being with us. Ben mentioned at the end of the, ser- the service last week as an encouragement for you to be here at the night of recounting that there were 10 lepers that were healed and they all went on their way and only one came back to thank the Lord and to bless the Lord. So the encouragement was be at the night of recounting so you're not like one of those nine lepers who's unthankful, right? Don't be one of the nine lepers. The reason we do that night of accounting is because God tells us to voice his deeds. I mean, we sung about it this morning. How in the world are the nations going to know about the goodness of our God in Christ? Because we will tell them. And we don't just tell them in sort of vague generalities. Christian lives are full of specifics where you can go and say, God has done this, God has done this, I have seen this, and I want you to be encouraged and know that that you have the same access to God in Christ that I have. How will they know? Because we will tell them. We proclaim the deeds of the Lord. Psalm 9 tells us that to be wholehearted in worship, we must recount the deeds of the Lord. So we as a church try to be really intentional about this, and we gather annually to reflect on all that God has done over the year. We say it out loud, and then we praise and we bless him. That's next Sunday. It's in your bulletins. Consider how David does this. Go back to Psalm 28. Consider how David does this. First he says, the Lord is both strength and shield, shepherd and refuge. The Lord is both strength and shield, shepherd and refuge. We would not know the blessing of God as our shepherd and strength if we did not experience the reality of weakness and sheepliness. I'm going to say that again. We would not know the blessing of God as our, sh- our strength and our shepherd if we did not know and experience the reality of weakness and sheepliness. Some of us hate our weakness. I know I hate mine. 
I'm so keenly aware of my weaknesses and it frustrates me so much. And then I read the verses where it says God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. And I know I'm not supposed to be mad about it, but I still hate my weakness. But I wouldn't know the strength of God if not for weakness. And I wouldn't know the joy of having him as a shepherd if I was not aware of my sheepliness. Now, I'm not sure that sheepliness is a word. So if you're sitting there saying, I don't think that's a word, it might not be. What I do know is scripture says that we are the sheep and God is the good shepherd. So as you look around the room, you're surrounded by fellow sheep. Our sheepliness is never more evident than when you look around only to realize everyone else really struggles with all of the same stuff. It's, it's different, but it's the same. We're all human beings. We all have the same needs. We all have similar limitations, some more than others, some less than others. But it's always interesting when you look around and you're like, when you go to tell someone, hey, I just I need to share with you, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And How many times have you had that experience where they're like, you know what, me too? That's because you're sheep. That's a, you, we need to have a sense of our sheepliness. Like a bunch of sheep out in a pasture, everyone needs the shepherd. Because you look around and everyone has different trials that are bigger than them. Everyone might be lost, wounded, hungry, weary, injured. Some of the most frustrating people are people who think that they're the only person with the kind of problem that they have. We know that person. Don't look at them. It'll be awkward. But we know those people where it's like, oh my gosh, I hate having to do a budget. It's like everyone has to do a budget. Oh, I'm so tired. Everybody's tired. I don't know anyone who's not tired. Everyone I talk to, hey, how's it going? Are you doing well? Yeah, I'm just tired. Like maybe 1% aren't. So I was trying to think how to express this sheepliness, and I started writing, and really it came out just in the way of, of what I want to call just a Holy Spirit-filled rant. And so I'm going to share something in this sermon, and it's something I've never done before. It might be a total catastrophe, and I'll just add it to my list of things that didn't go right. Um, but I wanted to share a rant, a Holy Spirit-filled rant, as part of this sermon, and I just want you to see if you identify with any of this stuff. Because as you identify with these details, that means you identify with the people around you. And the reason you identify with the people around you is that we are sheep. It's just hard to manage it all. Money is always tight. Just as soon as I get ahead, something inevitably breaks. Oh, we, we saved money. Then something broke and now we haven't saved money. Marriage is harder than I expected. Spending time in the Word together and praying together sometimes feels like it takes an act of Congress. Oh, and date nights? Yeah. Unless Crosspoint is hosting a fundraiser where someone's going to babysit all my children at the same time, date night probably isn't happening. Oh, and parenting is hard. All of the kids want to eat every day. <laughs> it's hard to find time to go to the grocery store between all the extracurricular activities, so we end up going out to eat too much, which again makes it hard on the budget. It also makes me fat and tired, and when I feel fat and tired... It makes it even more difficult to get, all, to get to all the kids' activities on time. Fat and tired doesn't help with date night either. More important than all of those things, more important than all those things is leading my family spiritually. But every time we have a moment to sit down and open our Bibles, one of the children either farts or makes a farting noise, and the deeply spiritual moment has passed with their gas. And the laundry, the laundry, don't get me started on the laundry. 
My kids will wear something for about three minutes and then put it on the floor next to the dirty clothes hamper. Not in the dirty clothes hamper, but right next to it. And then there's nothing more to fear in the midst of all the money and time management, in the midst of soccer, baseball, drama, choir, football, cheer, volleyball practice, in the midst of purchasing groceries at Walmart at 11.30 at night, because that's the only time you can get there, in the midst of trying to lead my family spiritually, sure, I'll do my best to sell 73 more bags of popcorn so that we can pay for whatever wasn't covered by all the fees I've already paid to this particular organization. And finally, no paid shepherd, even though your shirts are awesome, Lindsay doesn't need any more of them. I've bought a hundred t-shirts this year. We're done. Do you identify with any of that? If so, it's because we're sheep. And being sheep only gets harder when you take all that previously mentioned normal craziness of life and you throw in a curveball like a trial. Or you take the craziness and you throw in a curveball like an unexpected setback or an illness or loss. We're deeply dependent upon our shepherd. And here's the thing, all those ridiculous details that I just ranted about, your God loves you so much that he actually cares about all of them. He cares about those details. He cares that you do your laundry in faith. He cares that you sell your popcorn without grumbling. He's a God of meticulous care, meticulous love. We're deeply dependent upon our shepherd It's part of his design, but the reason that it works is that our shepherd is not dependent upon anyone. That's why David cries out and says, you are my shepherd. I don't have many shepherds. You are the only shepherd. You are my shepherd because he knows that God is not dependent upon anyone else. And our weakness, our God, actually gives us strength. That is not just poetic. We have to understand that is reality. When we are weak, our God actually gives us the ability to move beyond ourselves. When, when was the last time that you realized you were operating on God's strength in spite of your weakness? Some of us uh, sort of pride ourselves in our independent spirit and we don't need help with anybody. We'll just get it done. You know what? You were designed by God to have those moments in your life where you are well aware that I am moving on God's strength right now, not mine, and you swallow that pride, and you you bring on some humility, and you get rid of that selfishness, and you say, my God is good, and he gives me strength when I need it. And as our shepherd, there may be times where God carries us in a way that we didn't understand. You may never understand it. I've watched God carry some of you through some trials and some seasons, where I know it was far beyond your ability and far beyond anyone else's ability. But God will carry us through those seasons. We look back and realize that we've made it through a season that seemed otherwise impossible. And not only does he give us active strength and help as a shepherd, but he provides for us himself as shield and refuge. You see it there, and it says, the Lord is the strength of his people, the saving refuge of his anointed, and he's shield up top strength and my shield. So he provides for us himself as shield and refuge. He provides for us in himself a place to hunker down and to be with our Lord and know that while we are with him, the fiery darts of the enemy are held at bay by our great God who gives us rest. I mentioned that verse this morning out of, out of Psalm, the in peace I both lay down and sleep for you alone make me dwell in safety. That means that when you're sleeping, God's making you dwell in safety. And that means that there are potentially dangers that you didn't know about, that you were sustained in as your God watched over you as you slept. He's our shield. He's our refuge. That's That's a third of your life, by the way. 
in bed, sleeping, as God tends to every one of us meticulously. There are times where he shields us from things we'll never know about. His care is meticulous, thorough, and loving. When God does these things for his children, David says this. When God does these kinds of things for his children, David says, In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exults and with my song I give thanks to him. The heart that trusts is the heart that is helped. And the heart that is helped is the heart that exults. I want to say that again because it's an important order that we see here in the psalm. The heart that trusts the Lord is the heart that is helped by the Lord. And the heart that is helped by the Lord is the heart that exults. Now, that's not a word we use often. Kiddos, that, that word exult might sound sort of biblish, spiritual speaking, but we need to understand what it means because it's an important detail in this verse. The heart that exults, the original word exult, um, implies that the heart jumps with joy. It jumps with joy. It is genuinely moved with gladness. It is not irrational emotion. Are you one of those cynical people who sees people raising their hands in worship and just praising God and just so thankful? And they, they, they're, they're just, it's almost like they don't have a care in the world because they're so in tune with how good God is. Are you one of those cynical people that's like, I'd never raise my hand? Is that real? Is that, is that legit? I mean, if you've had a horrible week and you come into a room full of people who are just praising God at the top of their lungs, guys, this morning was some of the loudest thing I've ever heard in here. Are you the cynic that's sitting there going, come on, is that real? Is this just sort of an emotional experience? And what we learn from this heart that is helped and then the helped heart exults in the Lord is that it is with genuine gladness that we are moved. Spurgeon says, real praise is established upon sufficient and constraining reasons evidence, like in a courtroom, like it's not a fact until you prove it's a fact. So the joy in our hearts that are exulting is a joy that is factual because our God is specific as he tends to us. He says, it is not a rational emotion, but rises like a pure spring from the deeps of experience. And he says this, it's a great, great statement. Those who pray well will soon praise well. Those who pray well will soon praise well. What he's saying is that the praise that's in the song of thanks is far from fake. Guys, I, I struggle with this personally. I'm not just a chipper person. That may surprise many of you. I'm not just this chipper, hey, let's sing a song of joy to the Lord. All right, all right. I'm not that guy. I'm not a DJ either. Apparently that was like a DJ. Um, but sometimes it feels fake. Sometimes it can feel fake where it's like, I really want to be with everybody else in the room who's so excited and raising their hands and jumping and being undignified before the Lord like David was. Sometimes it feels awkward and weird. This should be a help to you if you struggle with those same things. It is an exultant heart established upon sufficient evidence. Our God is good. Some, sometimes we're too in tune with how we might look. Sometimes we're too in tune with the, 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 how uncomfortable we are in a certain scenario. And the problem is, is that you're not in tune enough with your God. Because if we're in tune with God, guess what? If you don't like worshiping now, you're probably not going to dig eternity. Because all of eternity is praising the Lord. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
There should be that simple phrase. You should be able to grow into that phrase every day of your life as you're sanctified and made more like Christ. You will never outgrow that phrase. So our hearts trust and they leap with joy. It's not a shallow, silly, emotional experience. If you are looking for something real in your life, if you're sitting here this morning going, man, I, I sure would like something real, place your hope in Christ and see how that heart that is hoping in Christ is helped and then consider what's happening within you as real praise bursts forth in rational and sufficient evidence of God's help in your life. Our third point this morning. So the first point, prayer always precedes praise. The second point is that praise always follows prayer. We can't forget that part. We can't skip over that part. And then finally look at verses 8 and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. Third point this morning is that proper praise is not selfishly independent. Sometimes independent people think that they're being independent so that they're not selfish and needing other people. But the Christian way is that if you're utterly independent, so much so that you don't need other people, you don't have a view towards other people, you are being utterly selfish. This psalm exhibits that David's in this horrible situation. Why at the end of his song does he say, that, I mean, he's in this nightmare of a situation. Why at the end does he say, God bless your people. Save your anointed. Be their shepherd. Why does he go in that direction? Because proper praise is not self-centered. It does not hope that God's blessings terminate on you. If you just hope that God's blessings terminate on you, you need to repent of that. Rather, the one who trusts the Lord is helped by the Lord, and the one whose heart exults with praise finds great joy in being part of a people. That's why we spend at least a month with every new member going through our membership covenant, because we want people to understand the church is not a building, it's a people. It's an accountable people, loved, loving, and we have a long covenant that we, not long, but we work through it over the course of a month, because it's important for you to be a part of a people. David could not help but lift his eyes from his current trial, which was really significant, and rejoice in the fact that God is the strength of his people, the saving refuge of his anointed. It's almost like he's singing, and he's like, Lord, thank you for blessing me. You, you know what? Bless all them too. Lord, thank you for helping me. You are so, you know what? Help all them too. He doesn't want it to terminate on him because he has a view of other people because of who he is in the Lord. When your hope is in the Lord, you cannot be selfish. When your hope is in the Lord, it inevitably turns to other people. He ends with this benediction. Consider how very different this blessing is from the curses that he called down on his enemies. This blessing for God's people. He says, save your people. Don't just save me. Yeah, save me. But don't just save me. Save your people. Be their shepherd. God, you've been such a good shepherd to me. God, I have seen your hand. I've seen your might. I've seen you take care of me. Oh, Lord, let, let everybody else experience this too. Carry them forever. Bless your heritage. David realizes even though he is the king, he is Yahweh's king. He's the king of Yahweh's people, the one who Yahweh wants on the throne. 
even though he's in such a significant point, he realizes this is not just my heritage. Lord, this is your heritage, and I want you to bless it. Our story is the story of a people, and our identity is that of one of many whom God has made his own. Because of that, a Jesus and me approach, sort of a self-centered approach um, to life, misses out on the bigger story of redemption. Over and over again, I see how God blesses others through his people, through the church. Over and over again, I see people cry out for help. And do you know how God answers their cry for help? He brings their brothers and sisters in Christ around, in Christ around, and they help, and they bring food, and they bring money, and they bring time, and they bring love, and they bring prayers, and they bring encouragement, and they bring those, those well-placed words like apples of gold and fittings of silver because they're in line with the Holy Spirit. They're in step with the Spirit, and it's a blessing. So what David is painting is this picture where he is utterly blessed, but he wants to be with a people who are utterly blessed. And I want you to just think about that for a moment. If you're that independent spirit who's like, uh, I don't know if I need to be a part of the church or not, you are missing out. As a church, you're surrounded by people who have been blessed by God. You're surrounded by a blessed heritage, and it doesn't do you any good to say, I'm good. That's not God's plan for your life. He has a special plan for your life, and it's to be a part of a people. You bless them, and they bless you. Nobody goes without. When the early church gathered, everybody just shared everything because they were so enamored with the Lord. Everything was in common. Guess what, guys? That wasn't just an early church reality. Today, everything is still in common. We have everything in common. Do you believe that? Do you view yours as yours and no one else's? Consider, 2 Corinthians tells us to comfort others with the comfort that we have been comforted with. That verse floors me. Comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted. Sort of this circular thing that's going on here as God is tending to and loving his people. Your trial doesn't end with relief. Your trial, like David's, doesn't just end with, oh, thank God, I'm good. Just relief. It doesn't end there. The comfort you receive from the Lord wasn't meant to terminate on you. Every single time that we are helped and comforted and brought through a storm, part of the purpose is to equip us to help others in the same way. So it's foolish for anyone to think, well, I don't need that and they don't need me. Because it's God's design that we're always caring for each other. I mean, so many times I've seen someone say, oh, we're struggling with this, and someone else comes along and says, hey, we've been there. Can I walk with you? A marriage is struggling. And someone else says, hey, we, we had a really hard season, but the Lord brought us through. Can we walk with you? People don't know what to do with their money. Finances are a mess, and we're struggling. Well, then this other family comes along and says, yeah, we were totally broke and filed bankruptcy, and it was a mess. But hey, guess what God showed us? Can we walk with you? People just learning how to be parents, like just frazzled, like I have this little human being that I have to care for, and I don't know what to do. Again, they want to eat every day. And then there's others who say, hey, mine, mine made it through and they're in college now and I can walk with you. Hopefully you're eager to receive that and eager to give such things. And that tempers when you're in a trial. It tempers your thoughts. It tempers your heart when you're in a trial to think, I need to take something from this that I can take to someone else someday. Because then it's not just about you. And helps you to move through faithfully. David is not only blessed by his relationship with God, 
but by his relationship with God that brings him into God's family and surrounds him with new brothers and sisters who have all been equipped with the same Holy Spirit, who've all been brought through many trials, that we should all stand together in eternity, and as it says in Romans, with one voice glorify our great God and Savior. Not many voices, but with one voice. One of my favorite things when we're worshiping together is when it sounds like one big voice, because that's fitting for the kind of worship that we will do in eternity. You've been brought into a family. We are blessed abundantly. We have access to our great God, and he wants to have a relationship with you. He cares about the details of your life. We have great reason to praise, and we only realize it more and more as we're part of a people. At this point, we're going to take the supper, and as we do, we're going to play a video of just people recounting and giving thanks and giving praise to God, blessing the Lord. And I want you to, to view this video not as just some cute video, but as like these are real people who have a real God who've been brought through real stuff and are really thankful. And I want you to consider what your testimony and your story might be as part of a people as you watch this video. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to disperse the elements and play the video. Let's pray. Lord, you are very good to us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for caring about our lives. Thank you for giving us Christ. Lord, as we distribute the elements, I pray that we would be well aware of the reality that our greatest trial was with our sin as it left us dead in our trespasses. And so this morning, as we give thanks, we do so in Christ, because in Christ we have this opportunity to come before you. We love you. We praise you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 